is the word of God. This is the Bible, and this is the entire reason that we are here. This book is filled with every single word of advice, everything that God wants us, needs us to know as we start our life here on earth and as we live it for the next however many years. This is his word. And when you guys are shouting, I speak the name of Jesus, there is power and there is authority in that name. And there is power and there is authority in this book. Proverbs 16 from this book says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it can lead to death. So we go throughout life and we know there's good choices, there's bad choices, the right way to go, wrong way to go. And this verse is saying, yeah, you can make right choices, you can make right choices, but there is a path that you can take that will lead to death. And that's kind of heavy, that's kind of serious, but this book, the Word of God, is how we avoid that death. It's how we make sure that we are on the right path, making the right decisions that will lead to life. And so this week and next week, we're going to be looking at the Word of God, and we're going to be unpacking what does this thing actually say? How is it laid out? We're going to get some important information that you might not have known about the Word before, but I think we need to realize that this thing is everything. It should be everything to us, and we should be passionate about what it says and how it applies to our lives. The first thing we should understand is that the Bible is actually easy to read every day. Now I know you're kind of like, really? The Bible's easy to read? Look at that thing. It's like two billion pages. But I promise you, it is laid out in a beautiful way that makes so much sense. And I love talking about the Word of God because it's so ingenious how it was written. So this is uh, the big Bible. How many of you guys came from Kids Church? Okay, so you know, you know, you're affiliated, okay? If not, if you didn't come from Kids Church, uh, she opens up, and inside of this one massive book, there are 66 smaller books, 66 smaller books. Now, top here, these are all Old Testament books. These are all New Testament books. So those 66 books are further broken down into two different parts. The Old Testament has how many books? Do you guys know? 39, 39, really close, 39 Old Testament books, which leaves how many New Testament if there's 66? 27, that's right, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. Now the very first book of the Bible is Genesis, right? Genesis is all about how the world was created. The Lord created the heavens and the earth. He created you and I as humans and everything else in it. That's Genesis. Then the very last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. And this is a book that is all about prophecies and what will happen when the end of the world comes. It's not Hunger Games. It's actually real, okay? But it's just as good. So that's the Old Testament, the New Testament, first book, last book. Now I want to focus on the Old Testament here for a second because I don't think it gets enough love. My favorite books of the Bible are in the Old Testament. Now I understand Leviticus not exactly a fun read, okay? Not going to keep you on the edge of your seat like Twilight would, okay? But... First and second Samuel, the best 
my, well, I'm not going to say the best books of the Bible, but my favorite books of the Bible. The words within these two books, this story absolutely changed my life. All in the Old Testament, there's tons of stories that maybe you heard growing up in church or maybe you haven't. But in Exodus, there's the book of Moses and how he leads people out of Israel after a bush told him to do so. Okay? Yeah, it's crazy. I actually got it tattooed on my arm. That's how much I love that story. Okay, so that's Exodus. In the book of, let's see, uh, Esther, y'all heard of Queen Essie? Dude, she's freaking fire, okay? She's the coolest lady. She single-handedly saved an entire people group through just her bravery alone. She basically stood up to the Hitler of her age. And that's not, that's not a joke, that's serious. She single-handedly stopped her population from being wiped out. What about the book of First and Second Samuel, my two favorite books? Guess who that's about? Uh, David. And he is the best ever. And it talks about how he defeats person after person. He wins battle after battle, all the while bringing praise and worship to his God. The book of Proverbs, which is filled, filled to the brim with so much wisdom, so much insight. Proverbs is there. And then there's Psalms, which is a book of beautiful poetry that praises God and cries out to him. I think that many people are intimidated by the Bible but specifically intimidated by the Old Testament. But what we need to realize is these books are life. They're not outdated. They're not boring. They are not confusing. They are incredible. When I opened up these pages, they taught me what real leadership looks like. When I read these pages, I would learn how to handle immense failure as well as immense success without letting either destroy me. I learned what true love looks like, not between man and woman. If you want to know that, read Song of Solomon. It's juicy. But between man and God, what true love looks like. I learned the consequences of lust, lust and disobedience. Most of all, I learned who I was, and I became a woman after God's own heart. That's what the Old Testament did for me. The second section is the New Testament. So Old Testament, all these books were written before who came to earth? Jesus. All before Jesus. New Testament, these are all books of what happens during Jesus' time on earth and a few years after that. So the first four books of the New Testament, those are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the story of Jesus' time on earth, his 30 years here, how he was born to a virgin, how he lived a perfect, spotless life, how he grew up to teach people of his miracles and who he was and then would eventually die on the cross for us. There's the book of Acts that talks about what Jesus' followers do after he pieces out and goes back to heaven, how they keep the early church going, how they were tortured in absolutely brutal, brutal circumstances in order to keep the gospel going. Within these books, heaven is described as well as it's a look into what the future will look like. They describe countless miracles, but most of all, they show Jesus's love and adoration for his people. Now, I didn't come out of the womb reading the Bible, okay? That didn't happen. In fact, it took me a long time to get here in a place where I say, yes, absolutely, the Word of God changed my life. I was a student just like you guys, sitting in those very bleachers, listening to my pastor say over and over and over again, oh, you don't feel like you hear from God? You feel distance from Him? Guess what? You should read the Word of God. And I'll say, yeah, 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 I want something easier. I want the easiest way to get to God, to get the answers that I need, and to be blessed by Him. But meanwhile, 
the whole time this book was waiting for me. And I didn't really get into its pages until probably college. That was when I had enough discipline to decide, okay, I'm going to wake up early enough. I'm going to make sure that I have my time with the Lord. But honestly, and I'm saying this truthfully, I wish I had done it sooner because of the lessons that it taught me. I remember the first time I read Esther 4.14, the words, I was created for such a time as this, jumped out at the page because at that moment I was feeling so useless and so unseen. I remember the very first time I was rejected by a guy, it absolutely destroyed me. And the words, 1 Samuel 16, burned into my heart, says the Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then when I was feeling underestimated because my age, because I was a girl, 1 Timothy 4 said this, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Guys, that is what is in here, and the Lord will speak to you through it, but you have to give him the chance to do so. The next thing we need to understand is that the Bible, while it's also easy to read and you should read it every single day, it's also true, it's reliable, and it is accurate. Last week, I was actually talking to one of your guys' moms on the phone, and she asked me a real question, and she said, how can I be sure that this Bible is even accurate? And I wasn't offended by this question. I wasn't like, how dare you ask me that? Because it is a legitimate question. If you are going to base your entire life on Christianity, on the teachings of Jesus, don't you think you should know what they say? Don't you think you should know what is in this book? And so she was asking, I think I believe in Jesus, but how do I know for sure that what is in this Bible is real and accurate? I had the same exact question my junior year of college. I was taking a Bible history class with a teacher who did not believe in Jesus. And he absolutely berated the class telling us what is in this book is completely inaccurate. Because when it was translated from language to language, it was done so by people who did not know how to read and write by illiterate scribes. And so he said, every single word in there is actually wrong. It wasn't copied correctly. And so the Bible that we have today is full of inaccuracies. These are the things that he was telling me. And in my heart, I was like, oh my gosh, how can that be true? How can I live 20 years without hearing somebody tell me that? So then I started to look into it. I started to research it. I was like, if I'm going to really do this, if I am going to live my life being a Christian, I want to make sure that what is in there is true. And this is what I discovered. The Bible, in its 66 books, was written in various languages over the course of 1,500 years. Forty men wrote the Bible over three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. From a human perspective, these writers of the Bible, they came from so many different backgrounds. There was a fisherman that wrote it. There was a shepherd, a military man, a king, a royal taste tester, a medical doctor, a tax collector, even a tent maker. And some of these wrote from prisons. Some of these men wrote from palaces. And although the writings of these men covered numerous topics, the unity found throughout this book is remarkable and definitely not coincidental. Within its 1,000-ish pages, there are no contradictions. 
The fact that these Bible writers could come up with these words without ever meeting each other, without ever talking and saying, okay, you're going to write this, you're going to write this, you're going to write this, but don't disagree with this because then it will be confusing and then you'll contradict me. And lining all of those things out, there's no way that that could have happened because of the background of these authors. And that just proves that's not a coincidence. The fact that this Bible could be written over that many years, over that many countries, and in that amount of time, without any contradiction, without any word feeling misplaced or awkward, without anything being misspelled or mistranslated, it can't be. There's no possible way. It's not a coincidence. And that alone showed to me that, Professor, you don't know what you're talking about. Because if that were the case, there would not be the unity in this Bible. Another thing that we can understand that really teaches us that the Bible is true is simply what we have of texts of copies of it. We have a book that was written, the Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. So let's see, where is Isaiah? Right there. This is the book of Isaiah. We have a copy of this book that dates back to 175 B.C., or BCE, as you guys are being taught in school right now. Okay, how many years ago was that, if it was 175 BC? Well, we're in year 2023. What is 175 BC? That means 175 years before Jesus came to earth. So basically, we're going negative. So that means that this Bible was written about 2,100 years ago, 2,100 years ago. That's how old this text is, and we have it in our possession. So we can go, we can look at that text from over 2,000 years ago, and we can say every, or I'm sorry, it was 4,000 years ago. That's where I thought I was messing up. I brought this whiteboard out here because I knew I would do that, and now I don't have time to use it. It was 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago, this thing dates back to. And there, every single word is correct. Every single word lines up exactly with the Isaiah that is in this book today. We also have copies of every single book of the Old Testament except for two that are the exact same, that date back from the exact same time. We have copies of the New Testament that contain most of Paul's letters that were dated to 100 AD. That would have been 2,000 years ago. We have those copies in our possessions. Again, we can look at every single word and we can say, this matches up. This is the correct translation. This is correct. There are are actually 6,000 different handwritten copies of the Bible that date back to first centuries that prove there's no tampering that's occurred. What that guy was talking about, I have no idea because he is supposed to be a historian and he is ignoring historical documents that prove what this Bible says is the truth, untampered, unaltered. We can be confident that the Bible is authored by God even though it is scribed or written by 40 different men. The Bible actually brags about itself in 2 Timothy. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So God is literally saying, guys, this this Bible, it came from me. I authored it. I inspired it. You can trust every single word in there. Now, there are a lot of religious texts out there besides the Bible. This is the one that we listen to. This is our only religious text. And guys, this is the only one that is true. There are a lot of religions out there. There are a lot of religious texts. But none of them are real except for this one. And I understand that tolerance is taught 
from a very young age, tolerance for all different cultures and all different religions. And while I believe that it is important to be kind and loving to people who don't agree with what is in this book, that does not mean that you can believe that their religions are also correct. The Bible is the only religious text of absolute truth. And I think a lot of us go into the world and we just say, man, you know, I think, I think there's other religions out there. And I think that what those people believe are probably true. I mean, we all basically believe the same thing. We're all basically worshiping the same God. We'll all essentially end up in the same place. But guys, that is not true. If you are not believing what is in this book, you are not believing the truth. The Muslim Bible, the Quran, it's not the truth. The Mormon Bible, also not the truth. And I've talked to so many Mormons that have said, hey, no, we believe basically the same thing. We have the same exact belief systems. We just have different churches. And they are very, very convincing. But it doesn't matter how convincing a person is. It doesn't make it the truth. And if they really believe something so similar to us, why are we in different churches? Why do we have different religious and biblical texts? Why do they have an entirely separate Bible from us? We do not believe the same things. Doesn't mean that we're better than them. Doesn't mean that we get to disrespect people that don't believe what we do. But it does mean that we have to understand that this is the only truth out there. Guys, you are allowed to disagree with people. You're allowed to disagree with people. It does not make you hateful. It does not make you racist. And it does not make you uneducated. We have to stand up for what the word says as Christians. But we also have to do it in a loving in a respectful way. I need you to hear that. We have to do it in a loving and a respectful way. Nowhere in this book does it say that you are allowed to treat people badly because you disagree with them. John 13 says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus is saying love is what shows people that you follow me. Not having an amazing argument, not being right, not being super, super loud and judgmental with what you believe. Love is how you show people that you follow me. But how many of you guys have seen Christians that haven't been loving? How many of you guys have seen people that shout and they spread their hate and their filth? Yeah, I've seen it too. And it drives me crazy because it makes Christians look bad, but more than that, it makes Jesus look bad. And never once in his word does he preach to hate people or to be disrespectful to them. This is how you show God's love, by being loving and kind. Loving is not being judgmental. Loving is not putting people down. Loving is being respectful to others. But at the same time, we have to remember that verse that we started out with tonight. Proverbs 16 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. So though the way may seem right to people who don't believe what we believe, it's not, and it will lead to death. Our job is to save as many people that we can from death by spreading the good news of Jesus. But we can't do this through hate and judgment. We will do this by loving and standing up for the truth in a respectful way, just as Jesus did over and over and over again in this book. Guys, we need to know what this book says. It is truth. It is life. And we can learn it by reading it directly or personally. We can learn it by listening to podcasts or sermons at 4640 or other churches. We have to learn it. 
We have to become confident that what God says in this book is true. Now, there's a question out there that's, how do I start? What's a big book? Where do I start? Do I just start at the very first page? No, actually, our recommendation is that you get the Bible app. It's a free app on your phone. It's literally called the Bible, and it is the entire Bible from beginning to end, and I'm going to put a QR code up on the board. This is the Bible plan that I recommend. So it's seven days. So it's just seven days, and it's about five minutes minutes of reading each day. And it's called I Am because each day goes through a different statement of who Jesus says he is. So this is what I'm recommending to all of you if you're wondering, how do I start? Where do I start? This is an incredible app because it's free. The entire Bible is on there. And what you'll do, you scan the app, and then you'll tomorrow when you wake up or whenever, you'll do your Bible plan. And it's called a devotional is the first part. This is like a two to three minute teaching that it just tells you, okay, this is an old text. This is how it becomes applicable in your life. And then you'll read a couple of the scriptures and then you're done for that day. You want to give the time to the Lord to speak to you through it, but this is a great way to start. Then you'll wake up the next day and you'll do the next day's reading plan and the next day's and the next day's. And then as soon as you're done, you can start another one that looks interesting to you guys. Or you can get a paper Bible if you want to. But this is what we recommend, and this is how you start. Once you're done with that plan, if you're like, man, I just want to read an entire book of the Bible. I want to challenge myself this summer. My favorite book of the Bible is John, by far my favorite book for New Testament. So that's where I recommend you start in that gospel. But let's just go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes, and we'll pray to him one final time tonight. So dear Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp into our feet. We never have to question. We never have to be afraid because we know that we have your word that will give us instructions and that you will speak to us through it. And so God, I just pray against a lack of faith right now. I pray against doubt. I pray for confidence in these students that if somebody says something contrary to the truth of what the word is, God, that they will know in their heart that it is a lie and they don't have to believe it. I pray that each of these students can stand in truth, but also in love and respect and represent you well to the world. We love you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.